On today's season finale of The Joy Sutton Show, what do you do when life doesn't turn out how you initially designed it? My first guest was at the height of her career in the fashion industry when she had to walk away from it all. At literally the peak of, of my career in corporate, uh, I, I had my second son and four months later, we found out that he needed surgery. And unfortunately, devastatingly, it, it did not go well. And my son, my, my youngest son, sustained brain damage during the surgery. And it absolutely just stopped my entire world. Charmaine Michelle would have to design a new path for her life, and it turned out greater than she could have ever imagined. And on the coach's corner, if you find yourself always talking about how busy you are, well, you've likely got a problem, my friend. Busyness is a drug, and it is a drug of choice. We use it to numb what's going on. You know, some people use, you know, toxic relationships. Some people use drug or alcohol. Some people use shopping. <laughs> but we use it to numb what's really going on inside. Welcome to The Joy Sutton Show, where it's all about joyful conversations to inspire your life. When you show up in the world as the best version of yourself, you give other women the inspiration, courage, and permission to do the same. It's my time to take care of me. What made you think you could do it in your 50s? You know, I didn't think I could do it, to be honest with you. I was scared to death. We are all on our own journeys, but we can do this together. And there's something powerful about sharing our stories and the wisdom we've learned along the way. So let's dive into today's conversation and get to living our best lives. You have to step out on faith. You have to take the first step and go for it. I will never forget the day I decided to walk away from my TV news career. It was one of the hardest decisions in my life. I literally cried, even though I knew in my heart it was the right decision because being a news reporter was all I had dreamed about since I was 13 years old. But what do you do when life throws you a curveball? When the life you had envisioned for yourself doesn't work out as planned? My first guest, Charmaine Michelle, was living her dream as a fashion designer when in a moment, her whole life changed and she walked away from it all. But that's not how her story ended. Charmaine would find a way to rise above her circumstances. And today, she not only has her own design collection, she's the founder of the CM Design Agency. Listen in on the conversation as Charmaine shares her journey in the New York fashion industry, her life-changing pivot, and how she redesigned her path in the midst of one of the most challenging seasons of her life. I come from a traditional West Indian family, and my mom used to make dresses for my sisters and I when I was very young. So I've always seen her in her creative way, you know, making things and 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 playing with fabric and putting different colors together. And I think some of that viscerally just just rubbed off on me because even before I knew I was going to be a designer, I was making. If I, if I'm honest, if I'm going to go all the way back there. I mean, <laughs> I made a co some clothes for my my little dolls when I was little. Oh my gosh, Joy! Oh, way too far. And I also I made a couple things for myself. 
I remember making a, a couple things, probably in a 10th grade or so. I started to tinker with it, not knowing that I would go into fashion, but I, I, I had an affinity for it already. But it's so interesting when we go back a lot of times and people are trying to find their path in life and you go back and look at your childhood. Here you are as a young child making clothes. I mean, really making clothes for your dolls and then starting to make things for yourself, but not even like connecting that at that time. And then you go through high school and you say, huh, what does it mean to be a designer? And what was it about it that appealed to you? It opened up a a new world of uh fabric and the history of fashion and just the different uh, types of styling. And I, I just was able to see a little deeper into the industry based on what the recruiters showed me, you know, that they come with these little books and all this information. And it just, it so intrigued me that I, I had to know more. I just had to find out more about this world. So I didn't know everything about it, but I knew that it was rich and delicious and interesting. And I just, I couldn't wait. I was like, on pins and needles. I could not wait to get into the fashion industry. Tell me some of the exciting things that you got to do and some of the places you got to go and experience. Let me just start with Paris. Hello which I absolutely fell in love with. Well, as a, as a fashion designer, first of all, it's not unheard of to go to Paris. When you work for uh, a certain, uh, in corporate, this is standard. This is not even a big deal as a designer. It is something that you do twice a year. You go to Paris and London and Italy, and you go in and shop the market. You shop the fabrics, you shop the trends, you come back with all of the, and, and just the experience of traveling just opens up your level of creativity. You come back wide open and ready to create. So it's just a healthy thing for designers to do. And I got to do that twice a year, every year. Were you like those people we see seated in those seats as the the models are walking down the runway? I didn't so much do fashion week because I was a designer myself behind the scenes working for this other company, private label, private label. So it was a little different. And people who are in the industry will know what I mean when I say private label. It's not like I was there showing my own line. I was there as a, what they what they nowadays call a ghost designer for these other collections. So I was the creative behind the scenes doing all the work, but no, nobody knew my name, Joy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's how it's done. That's how it's done. So I was basically there to shop and just see what I can bring back creatively for all of these different lines that I would design every season. I didn't even know there were ghost designers. So there are people who work like you might see, you know, I'm so um, naive when it comes to the design world. I'm just being honest. But you see these big names in design, but sometimes there are ghost designers helping them to create the designs that we see and put on every day. 100%. Absolutely. What? Really? I'm thinking it's all their creative ability. So we would be surprised by that? Yes. 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 It's it's designers working like me, working hard behind the scenes. That's why they pop us out and, and, and grab us up and put us you know to work because they know we come with all of that creativity they're looking for. And for those of us, I think this is a good time to explain the design industry because, you know, like I said, I'm naive. I mean, I understand like when I go to the store, there's a, a designer who created it. But take give me the basics of the design industry. What does that all include? What is that? There's a private label account that we just spoke about where I, I'll use myself as an example. I'm a, was a, a ghost designer for these many accounts designing each season, 
and they choose the silhouettes that work for their boutique, work for their store back then, work for their catalogs. There were many catalogs back then. And they would adopt these designs and put them, you know, they, they would showcase them and sell them as their own. Or you could be a, a designer, like I, I mentioned, uh, Patrick Kelly or, or um, Tracy Reese, where they are actually designing for their own line, their own namesake line that is then sold in stores. So those are the two basic ways that it's done. That's interesting. So you can be a designer, just to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. You can be a designer, as we talked about before, kind of like a ghost designer. And then these ghost designers come up with all these designs and they sell them to different brands for those brands to sell in stores. Absolutely. The buyers come in from all over the country during market week. Yes. And they select what they want for the stores. Interesting. And then you'll have somebody like a private designer or someone who's designing their own who says, hey, this is my design, my collection, and I've created it. Exactly. And nowadays, of course, there's lots of licensing where a celebrity might want to have a fashion line. So they come to New York or they go to one of the other big cities. They find a, a designer working for a design house. And uh, yeah, they take up that that celebrity's account and design under that name. And it looks like they're designing everything. And some of them may have some influence in the collection, maybe fine tuning a couple of uh, details that they want to see incorporated in the co collection. But most of it is, is, yes, the private label designer doing the work. That's deep. So many of the great designs, not all of them, but we'd be surprised that many of the great designs or the styles that we like are by people we've never even heard their names. Absolutely. I think I'm, I feel like I'm outing the whole industry right now. <laughs> oh no. Okay. <laughs> going too far, but yes, yes. In a word. Yes. That is so fascinating. You know, what's so interesting is most of us see it from the outside in <laughs> and here you're getting this insider's perspective. What are the misconceptions? How is what we see, you know, when we see the runways and we see, you know, what we think it is, how is it really from somebody who's been on the inside? Oh, joy. Well, now that I've been in the industry as long as I have, I know what I didn't know when I was that young, that it's not all just beautiful fabrics and draping and beading and, and, and these, you know, models on the runway, as you say, fashion is a business like any other business. And there is a framework to this industry. There is a, a proven method of going from start to finish as a designer when you're starting a collection or even when you're working in a corporate. I worked in corporate for many years before I even started my collection. But what I know now is that the industry is it's challenging. It's work. I mean, you think it's all fluff and play and creativity, but oh, no, no. Building a collection from start to finish, whether you're working for corporate, like I said, or for yourself, it is an immense amount of uh, planning and and coordination and timing and and work. Right. And it's not just about which I love what you say. It's not just about the creativity because some people think I'm creative and I could, you know, I can come up with this design or this collection. But what you're saying is it's bigger than that. Oh, my. Oh, it's much bigger than that. I would say that the creativity might be 30% of it. Really? 
the back end, the logistics of it. Oh my goodness, it's a business. You have to run your business. You, you're not literally designing sketches, collections rather, every day. You design a collection and then you build it. And building it requires diving in deep and going through all of those steps to get all the way to production and have your your samples in your hand and your production ready to ship. It's a process. It's a very, very in-depth process. So it is deceiving. I think a lot of people, because they're creative, they, they think that um, they can just dive in and go for it and and create a line and sample it and sell it. And it's just that easy, but it's much bigger than that. It's much bigger, but it's such a, a rich, fulfilling industry that is worth it. Listen, if you're here for the fashion world, if you're here for the industry, it is worth every bit of effort, but you have to, you have to know what you're getting into. Honestly, <laughs> I found it uh, to be a very exclusive industry. And while I love my industry, that is one thing that has always really rubbed me the wrong way. I would, I would want everybody to have this kind of access. If they had the knowledge, if they had the access, if they had the connections, if they had the resources, they could do what I do, but it wasn't, it just wasn't openly shared. And it still is not. I know it seems like a lot of doors are opening, but some of those, uh, you know, walls are so high. You really do still have to connect with certain people or the right type of people to really get the insider information and not make a bunch of mistakes along your journey. When you're talking about exclusivity, are you talking about it being open to people of color or people with different ideas? What do you mean when you're saying it's very exclusive and that you're trying to that we need to get more to an inclusive environment where we're seeing more designers have the opportunities? Oh, joy. Well, yeah, here it is. I mean, the truth is in every industry, we have not been given as a, a people, I'm talking culturally now because you just took me there. Right? <laughs> as a culture, we are not embraced or we, or we, historically, we were not embraced as we should have been. And, and we were not looked at as equally talented and you're referring to like African-American designers or designers of color? Designers of color in general back then, because like I said, I started a long time ago, 30 years ago, and I was literally the only uh, black designer that I knew. Okay. There were other black people in the company. Okay. This was a, a, a Fortune 500 conglomerate. Okay. Massive company. I was the only black designer I knew for my entire duration of my time in corporate. That felt very strange to me. Okay. And, and I have no problem, you know, being inside the industry. I am, I, you know, it was, wasn't a question of me not being comfortable there. I'm very comfortable anywhere I go, but I would have loved to see more of me. And I, I, I remember back then I was in my early twenties and I was like, where is everybody? Why am I the only one? And I know I'm tenacious and I know I go after what I want. And, and maybe that has something to do with it back then. But I found it strange that I was literally joy, literally. I didn't know another black designer, not one. Maybe there were some in other places, but nowhere in my purview. That's deep because I think, you know, we hear about certain black designers now, but you say that wasn't always the case. 
there were Black designers in the industry. There was, oh gosh, I remember Patrick Kelly and Tracy Reese is still doing her thing. There, there were there were some designers here and there, but I'm talking about in my purview, in the New York fashion industry, in all of the events and everything I, I was exposed to, no Black designers. So that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying they didn't exist somewhere. Because we were here and there, and there were some there were some that reached higher pinnacles, like I said, like Patrick Kelly and so forth. But gosh, there are thousands of designers that work in the industry. So I just found it strange, a bit disheartening that was the case. But what I'm not gonna fool myself. That's the way it was in many industries. Things have shifted over time. We're in a time now where they're shifting even more, which I'm delighted about. So, you know, everything I I suppose has its time. So those who are now interested in, in, in entering the industry, this is the time. This is the time where there's recognition, where there is an open embrace, where there is a push for this inclusivity worldwide. So listen, there's no time like the present. We'll make up for lost time. You're one of few Black people who has made it in this fashion industry. You're getting this opportunity. You're like, I've made it. And then there's something that happens in your life and it all changed. What happened and how difficult was it to leave? At literally the peak of of my career in corporate, uh, I had my second son, and four months later, we found out that he needed surgery. So, um, of course, scheduled the surgery. Everything was going according to plan. Was just praying everything would be be great, you know, and it would go well. And unfortunately, devastatingly, it it did not go well. And my son, my my youngest son, sustained brain damage during the surgery. And it absolutely just stopped my entire world. It stopped everything. Everything changed. Everything changed in that moment. And I had to let go of my my career that, as you can hear, I, I adored, I loved. I mean, I lived for that. But shucks, my, I, I lived for my family more than anything. So yeah, I, I gave it up. And at the time, it didn't feel like I was giving up anything because of the other reality I was dealing with. It was after I sat back and I looked back, I was like, oh my gosh, you just walked away from all of that. And um, it was a shock in, in many ways. And and just a whole different, now I was mom. I was home, full-time mom. And uh, just taking care, literally, of my fam- my family, nurturing my son back to health as best as I could, which was everything. I would do it again. I mean, what do you, what do you do when when something like that happens? That nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. So, while I love my career, absolutely, I I had to drop it because um, you never know. You never know what what turn uh, life will will give you. You just don't know it. And and it's at times like that when you realize, um, you know, what's really important. You think that all of this is, is, this is it. You know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Oh, I'm living this life. And then something shifts and you're like, oh my goodness, look at this. I need to be so grateful for this, you know, and, and, and take care of this now because this is what's important. So yeah, things really shifted for me, Joy. In 
the most uh, grave way. Well, I can imagine that because here you said you were living your dream, you're traveling, you think, oh, I can do this. I'm superwoman. I've got, you know, I'm having kids and, you know, it's going to be okay. I can still do both. And then, like you said, your son goes through surgery. He ends up suffering brain damage. And you realize in this moment that no matter what, the most important thing was your family and your son at that time. And you had to make the decision because it still was a decision to say, I have to walk away from this now. I think that whole period was a shock because, I mean, realizing that your your son got hurt in surgery, that's definitely, I feel like I was in, in a bubble. I, it was it was a bit of a blur, if, if I'm honest. I was in shock for a while. It was, it was devastating. It was a devastating time. But uh, thank God for time because things start to shift. You know, you give every, everything needs time. And when... You know, even when you're at your lowest point, you just have to do what you have to do at that moment. But in time, you'll look at it a bit differently. But but yeah, you you need that time. You cannot expect to be everything to everyone at every moment. You need to sometimes just take a pause, pull it back and take care of the things that are most important. Did you think at that moment when you had to step away that that was it, that your career was over? I did. I didn't know what was next. I didn't know if my son was going to be okay. I mean, the doctors, I remember they told me that he would never walk and he would never talk. I remember, literally, I remember the doctor who told me that. And my mom, who was a woman of faith, when I told her they said that, she was like, oh no, we are not accepting that. And from that time, we just start, started to battle it back and fight for his future. So that was a full-time job. That was a full-time job. And can I tell you, it, is, it was worth every second of effort. He is now in his 20s. He it not only walks and talked, he was on the varsity team in, in high school. He is a young business owner right now. He has a business. Wow. My husband is the co-owner of the business along with him. He's finding his way. He still has his some issues, but he's finding his own path. There's room for everybody, right? So yeah, I'm just very grateful that that his life, it turned out to be rich and fulfilling also. But I, I really believe that it was because I, I took the time I needed to, to pull back and nurture nurture the whole family back to where it needed to be. So how long were you in that space? Because you walked away. And of course, at that point, you're thinking, it's okay. I'm having to do this for my family. I've lived this, but that time in my life is over. When did you realize that there could be a rebirth of your career? Okay. <laughs> Such a good question, because can I tell you, it had to be about a year later when I started to see some promise. And then I started because, of course, we worked with therapists. We, we got, you know, things handled and got a system going and a schedule going. And, and I started to see a flicker of hope. And with that, my my desire to create started to come back. And I was like, oh, my gosh, maybe there's a little room for me in there. Maybe I can maybe I can get back a little of what I had, even if not that. And then I just remembered that, hello, you started out in this industry as a designer, but you worked for someone else for all those years. But 
Hello, remember that you've always wanted to start your own company, your own business. So I said, oh my goodness, maybe this is my time, my time to figure that out. And I started to work my way back. Yeah. But I would say about a year in when things started to shift. Yeah. Then I was born to create joy. I was born to create. And although I thought it was gone, it was not gone. It was just unpaused for a bit. That is so good. So you're sitting there, you're having this moment, like you know that your son is starting to progress and this creativity begins to flow back into your life. Like like you said, it's probably like breathing to you, being creative and designing. And you're like, you know what? I know I design for these other people. Exactly. But maybe I can have my own collection. I started designing for two boutiques in New York, in Long Island, New York. And they were special occasion boutiques where they had these uh, elite customers who would come in for these beautiful silk gowns, custom gowns. And oh my goodness, I was able to create and design for those boutiques and still balance out my life at home. And eventually about... I would say it was less than a year from that. I I said, you know what? I'm designing for for these boutiques. I'm I'm doing all of this, uh, you know, pulling all these different components together and figuring out what needs to be done and and working with the sample room and and you know getting all the production done. I said, hello, I could do this for myself. I pulled it all back and I really took a look at it because that was like a half step. That wasn't really getting back into the industry. That was just showing me that I could still create, right? That I was still in there somewhere. And then I said, listen, all of these resources that I have built up over the last decade plus, all of this knowledge that I have in my head, all of these connections, all of this information in my head, I said, pull it all out. Let me see what I have. And let me see if it's possible for me to start my own line. And you probably never, ever dreamed that you would have your own collection, that that's what would come out of all of this. And what does that even feel like to know you have your own collection? I mean, really? <laughs> oh my goodness. It is the best feeling. It is the best feeling. What what I love best about having my own company, having my own collection, having my own say in my own life is that I can balance my life the way I choose. I am not at somebody's uh, beck and call the way I, not, although, I mean, not that it was a bad thing when I worked in corporate, but that, that was in my life. I was literally living for them, doing all that work and loving it, but that was on their terms. Now I live life on my terms. So I get to create, I get to have my collection and I get to, to have, you know, not that having your own company, running your own company doesn't take a lot of time. It absolutely does. But like I said, it's on my terms. I get to balance out my life the way I wish. So tell me about your collection. What is your collection? How would you describe your collection? And if we wanted to find out about your collection or buy something from you, tell me a little bit more about that. Okay. My collection is primarily evening wear and bridal. And so it's all special occasion. Yes, I, I, I've always had a love for bridal. I've always loved luxurious fabrics. I think it, that was the Paris in me. Once I was exposed to all of these delicious fabrics, it, I just never got it out of my system. And all of these amazing embroideries and beading. And my collection, my designs are full of that type of detail, 
beautiful fabrics, beautiful draping, beautiful sculpting. I mean, I, I'll show you. There's a little something behind me there. If you could take a look. And- oh, beautiful. I know they can't see it, but I can see. So you do all these evening wear and bridal. Are you in a shop now or do people come to you personally? Like, how are you getting your collection out? Everything. I was in two boutiques right here in Long Island keeping it kind of modest. I, I, I can't say that I was a massive company, but two boutiques in Long Island, one in New Jersey, did production for them, did wholesale with them. And I have a massive customer base that comes for custom gowns as well. So I'm very well known in Long Island, in, in Long Island, New York. And both of those things kept me very, very busy. But of course, with everything shifting last year, there are no boutiques that are are doing special occasion at this moment. So I had to to reevaluate that business as well at that time as well, and um, put a lot of things on pause. Honestly, last year, but it's now now that you know we're going into March, it's now starting to open back up where people are are calling for appointments. I was just on with a bride literally yesterday. And now they're ready to start thinking about wearing these beautiful gowns again. And um, I know some of of my friends and my family, even they're like, where are women going in all of these gowns? (laughs) Who's who's wearing ball gowns? But hello, can I tell you, my clients are wearing ball gowns. My my clients are wearing evening gowns. And I can't wait for them to have the the opportunity to to just dress and enjoy that again. It's going to take some time. Maybe in another year, they'll be fully back, but they're inching their way in already. What led you to know that maybe there's something else to this? This is bigger than just me launching my own collection, that there's something else I'm meant to do. Well, after I started my own line, I started getting calls from people who knew me, of course, who were like, hey, you're, you're doing your own thing. How did you do that? You know, I know this and this person here and that person there that wants to also start a collection, how do they get into the industry? And it wasn't, it didn't really hit me until several years in that I was uh, doing this because I would give out advice here and there, you know, no problem. But I didn't start coaching until many years after I started my own collection. And back then I was coaching just one-on-one, one designer at a time, you know, so that that's a limited amount of guidance I can give. And then I I just started to feel like I have so much knowledge of this industry and I have to share it far and wide as, as much as possible. And I remember, I don't know who I was talking to, but I said, I have too much information. I cannot just let this sit with just me. It's, it, it, it's like, it's not just meant for me. This can't just possibly be just for me, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So then I started to figure out how I could reach more designers at one time. And I, I launched this collective group coaching program where I now coach emerging designers and help them to go from concept all the way to production to launch their own collections, their very own collections, using the same methods I use to launch mine, using the same exact format and framework that every designer in the inner workings of the industry still uses. And that's key because that's going to make sure that they don't make all of the mistakes that those who, who come in and are creative but just try to wing it make. You know, I don't want to see designers make all of these thousands of dollars at a time. So many, so many mistakes that could be avoided. So 
I feel it's my duty to give them this blueprint, to give them the roadmap so that they can actually break into the industry and do it successfully. Mm -hmm. And what has that been like to know that an industry that was so, so exclusive that you were opening up doors uh, for new designers who don't didn't have the access or don't have the access that you experienced. What has that been like to see that? You know, I smile when, when I even hear you ask that question, because as fulfilling as I said it was to create, this feels equally, if not a little more incredible. I don't know what it is, but this, I just, I, I get great joy, n- no pun intended, great joy from seeing these designers flourish, from seeing them them take it all in and, and create something beautiful out of all of this, this groundwork that I'm, I'm helping them lay. It's, I, I feel like I'm doing the work I was meant to be, meant to do rather. And um, yes, I'm still going to create, I still have my collection, but this has taken even a bigger space in my, in my world lately, because it's like, I wake up for this every day. I wake up to teach. I wake up to share. I wake up to guide. I wake up to plug in and see what they need and see what, you know, what other guidance I could give. So this, this is everything for me right now. This is everything. Because like you said, you can design your life and you've done just that. I mean, you have designed the heck out of your life. You didn't done some amazing things. And I'm, you know, I'm just so glad to be able to share your story. But as a woman is sitting there listening to your story, I mean, there were the highs of making it and the lows of walking away from it and the highs of, you know, bringing it back to life. And then an even greater high of giving back in a new and creative way. So if there was a woman there who's just trying to find her path, who maybe had some desires in her life, but things have happened and she wonders if it's still possible for her. What would you say? I would say take some time to get real quiet, to get, spend some time with yourself, spend some time in silence and really start to not just, just think, but feel and, and see if, if, this is your time to not let the noise of the world drown out what you feel is for you. So if, if you are, are hesitant, I understand that hesitancy because I was hesitant when I when I di- was ready to dive back in. There's so much going on that you, you, you almost can't see it clearly. So get real quiet. All right. Get very still and see if this is meant for you and then go back to that guidepost I just mentioned if it's nudging you if if, if it's drawing you in then just dip your toe in just start somewhere just start just start wow what will you just start today or this week you can redesign your life at any moment you choose to. If you would like to connect with Charmaine, check out the show notes. As she mentioned, she offers a course for emerging designers, and this could just be your time to shine. Stay with us. The Coach's Corner is up next. We're breaking down the difference between being busy and being productive. This conversation is definitely eye-opening.
Looking for a female voiceover talent for your next commercial or video project? Monica Brooks is your girl. She's a morning show personality with 12 plus years of radio and commercial experience. Monica specializes in captivating and engaging your audience with her voice to help take your project to the next level. Take a listen to a sample of her work. It's new. Nice and easy color blend foam permanent color with tones and highlights. Now in a delightful foam. Just three shakes. Foam it. Love it. Nice and easy color blend foam. Your right color in a foam. It's foamtastic. Monica offers reasonable prices for top-notch work. To book Monica for your next project, check out the show notes or email her at k92monicabrooks at gmail or call 540-293-2008. On the Coach's Corner, I was scrolling on Instagram the other day when I came across a post that stopped me dead in my tracks. It read, are you always busy? If yes, that's a red flag. Whoa, I don't know about you, (laughs) but I often find myself talking about how busy I am. You know it. (laughs) That's why I had to have the author of the post on the show today, Cricket Crockett is a leadership and life coach, a best-selling author, and a speaker who has a message for us. Busyness is not the same as productivity. And if you think they are the same, my friend, you are lying to yourself. Take a listen. I'm very familiar with the lie of busyness. And I'm very familiar with that feeling of being on the uh, hamster wheel, right? And going, 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 trying to make something out of nothing. And and really, you're just busy. And that's a lie. It feels like productivity, but you're really not producing anything of value, right? But you're spinning your wheels and you're exhausted and you're tired and all of that will eventually lead to burnout. So yes, um, fortunately and unfortunately, that's a part of my history and a part of my story. But, um, you know, it's pretty cool because now I can use it to share with other people so that hopefully they don't get to that point. I mean, that is so huge because if you talk to a lot of people, one of the things they first say is I'm busy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so, I am guilty. And I am so guilty. I'll be like, my friends will be like, what's going on? I'm just so busy. I'm doing this, 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 and this. So when you think about that being a red flag, what is that telling you about yourself when even you're using that terminology or realizing that you're just busy, busy, busy? Right. That's a great question. I think um, part of it is just having an ear turned to your own verbiage, right? It is easy to recognize when other people are saying that. But when we listen to ourselves and recognize just how often we say that, and yet we're in a culture where we feel so disconnected, where we're craving relationships, where we're craving intimacy, where we want to grow and dig deeper, but we're too busy. We're too busy. And, you know, I think that's part of it for me. I started noticing other people saying it. And in that, I started noticing me saying it. So... And then, of course, it definitely correlates to our job or our business. It's, you know, I've been busy all day. But then when you look at what have I really gotten done today? What have I really accomplished? It's a short list. And yet we feel wiped out and exhausted. And like all we've done all day is work when really we've just been busy and we haven't really produced much of anything. Whoa, that I mean, I think you're giving me a full spanking today. (laughs) 
Because sometimes, you know, you do feel like you're busy. And like you said, that's a good thing to look up and say, what did I really, truly accomplish today? And I'm wondering is, why are we attaching ourselves to busyness? Well, I'll tell you why. Busyness is a drug. And it is a drug of choice. We use it to numb what's going on. You know, some people use, you know, toxic relationships. Some people use drug or alcohol. Some people use shopping. (laughs) But we use it to numb what's really going on inside. And it's a lie. It's the lie of multitasking. We say, I'm so busy. I'm so stressed out. I'm so frantic. Well, who wants to live that way, right? I mean, we really want to be productive. And people who are productive are at peace. They know where they're going. They have more clarity. They have more direction. They have a shorter list. You know, people who are busy have this never ending to-do list, right? And so that's really how we want to live, but it's not enough to want it. We've got to be intentional about it and we've got to have somebody help us. And we've got to have some accountability in it, too, to the point where we then train ourselves to hold ourselves accountable and say, I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. I'm spinning my wheels or I'm saying I'm busy when really I'm scared or really I'm stressed out or really I'm whatever the case, whatever that real emotion is. You know, we're masking that with the lie and with the plague of busyness. Oh, my goodness. You know what's so good about that? You said it's a numbing. Like you're using busyness as a numbing or as a coping mechanism, I guess, in some kind of way. How do we even get here in the first place? For most people, I know you said this is part of your own story, but how do we get in this place that we're numbing and using busyness? Is it a disconnection from ourselves or we're not listening to ourselves? For sure. But I also think that there is a little bit of insecurity in each and every one of us. Now, it may look different in somebody else, right, than than you or I. But I think there is something in us that says, I have to produce. I have to be successful. I have to do this or that. I have to mark these things off. And so what we do is we busy ourselves in order to look like we're accomplishing things while inside we're thinking, I hope nobody catches on. I hope nobody figures out that I have no idea what I'm doing. I hope nobody catches on that inside I feel like I'm this close to failing or whatever the case may be. And so we wear busyness as a badge of honor. And it's when we get fed up When we realize that busyness is not feeding us, in fact, it is depleting and defeating us. When we realize that, when we're kind of at that rock bottom moment and we're looking up from the pit going, oh my gosh, how did I get here? That's when we have that light bulb moment and say, enough is enough. I don't want to work harder anymore. I want to work smarter. One of the biggest things that gets on my nerves, and I see it all (laughs) over social media, is the hustle harder. Mm. And that drives me crazy because what it's doing in all of us is instilling a sense of no peace and of fear and waiting for the other shoe to drop. Hustle harder, 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 harder. Never good enough, never good enough. And that is not true. We Mm. all bring value to the table. So you want to hustle? I get that, right? We all have bills to pay. But hustle smarter. 
not harder. You're doing enough. You are enough. That is so good because when I think about that, when you talk about the hustle and not feeling enough, you know, that really touches me because I think a lot of people, we don't, we feel like in being busy, it means we are enough. It's like, it, like you said, we're wearing it as this badge of honor. Like, Hey, I am busy. I'm doing things over here. Right. And it also gives off a perception to people like you've got something going on. Unfortunately, in our society, that's what has happened. So what do you think are the telltale signs to a woman? Okay, you're so busy that you can't make ends meet and you're stressed out and you're not hitting your goals and you don't know why. Keep a busy or a productivity diary. What are you doing? And I think that at the end of that list, at the end of the day, when you look at that, you'll think, oh my gosh, I really haven't done anything. Or, oh my gosh, uh, you know, I, I went on social media to post something, but then I went down the rabbit trail of social media and I spent an hour there losing all that time when I could have been producing something with efficiency and value. And instead I just got busy and frantic. So I think that that's a big part of it is, first of all, recognizing it in your own life by just simply jotting down what you're doing while you're doing it. And you have to be honest, right? So it's not so much as a to-do list as it is a log of what you're doing and how long you did it. So you can reflect back on that at the end of the day and say, okay, this is what I did, but this is what I got accomplished. And they don't equal out. Mm. So- for sure, some other telltale signs, right? I mean, people who are busy tend to be frantic. They tend to be stressed out. They tend to lash out. They tend to um, always have that feeling that they're behind the eight ball, um, never, never getting it done or always trying to play catch up, right? And those types of things definitely lead to a place of negative self-talk, uh, self-doubt, lack of confidence, um, feeling lost, lack of clarity, frustration, fatigue. Um, then we start trying to fix and mask and numb those feelings. So that could look like overeating, over drinking, over shopping, whatever the case may be, you know, whatever your drug of choice is, toxic relationships. And then before you know it, you will end up in burnout. It will get you there sooner than later if you don't recognize those red flags. Whoa, that's big. So you're saying that if we don't deal with this, at some point, ladies, you're going to end up at burnout. It's inevitable. Yeah. Would you agree with that? For sure. And I think I've, I've done my fair share of burnout research, not just me personally, um, although I have been there. I've been in burnout myself, but just around the world looking at burnout, it's actually a clinical diagnosis in certain places of the world. Now, it's not here. But I wouldn't be surprised if it did show up in some of our clinical books. Um, burnout is real and it is real trouble. And if there's anything that I can do through my coaching practice, it's help people avoid it because it will knock you off your pedestal and then it'll knock you off your feet. It's a very humbling thing. And absolutely good things can come from that. But if I can help somebody avoid that on the front end and learn the power of pushing pause so that they can avoid the burnout, avoid the busyness and be productive and joyful, right? And actually enjoy the hustle, then that's a win-win. Because of course we have goals and dreams. Of course we have deadlines. Of course we have bills to pay. 
but wouldn't it be so much more enjoyable to do it from a place of productivity where we have joy and peace at the end of the day and we're not beating ourselves up mm-hmm. than to do it from a place of frantic busyness, stressed out, you know, where we tell somebody I'm fine. Right. <laughs> I know. Are you okay? I'm fine. Did you have a place in your life when you think about your own journey and you kind of alluded to it earlier even in the work that you do now, where you hit that place that now you're helping to help help other women avoid? For sure. And I think um, this is also common, but what happens is we hide it, right? Because it brings up feelings of shame and failure and embarrassment and whatever. But I think this is very predominant in women who are high achieving, who have big goals, big dreams. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But for me, and in in my story, I believe that lie that I'm not good enough. I believe that lie. Well, okay, this is good, but this is even better. Even when back in high school, even, okay, like 90 is an A, but a hundred is a better A. Well, who cares? An A is an A, right? Uh Uh-uh, I cared. Somewhere in my journey, I believed the lie that I was not enough or that, yeah, that's pretty good, but it could be better. And that carried me throughout life for too long. So I was an overachiever in school, in college. Um, After that, I went into teaching and loved it. But I um, joined a direct sales company during that time and loved that because, of course, it's coaching and working with people and helping them realize their dreams. And I shot right up to the top of our career path, which was fantastic. But was I really enjoying it? If I was being honest, the answer is no. I mean, sure, the free trips were great and the lucrative paycheck was fantastic and we were paying off debts and that was wonderful. But you know what they say, it doesn't buy happiness, right? So I reached a point where I was like, this isn't fun anymore. Am I allowed to feel that way? Mm. Like I've somehow lost myself in all of this striving all of this proving, all of this achieving. And again, there's nothing wrong with having big dreams, big goals, and being an entrepreneur and high achieving. You just have to do it in a healthy way. And that success path that I dug, although it it was fantastic in its time, at the same time, I was never enough for me. And so I hit a place of real rock bottom, if you will, where this isn't fun anymore. This is taking from me instead of giving to me. And I just began a dialogue with my husband at that point and said, do I have to do this for the rest of my life? And he looked at me like, no, like what? why would you think you have to? Because my brain was wired. And so from that point on, I went on a journey to really rewire some stuff and to learn who I am and that my identity is not in my paycheck. It's not in my title. It's not in how big my team is. It's not in my perceived definition of success. And it took some time, I'll be honest, but my real push pause moment for me wasn't pretty, but it was so necessary. It was so necessary. And so now, like, that's just my joy and my love. I'm still in a realm where I'm teaching and building and, you know, helping and coaching. But now I'm doing it from a place of health, mental health and happiness and joy. 
instead of go for the next whatever, go for the next trip, go for the next you know title, go for the next. And there's nothing wrong with that. Please don't misunderstand. I just got lost in that, and that became that this filler for me. But it's a it's a false filler. So if a woman is sitting there and she does the log as you're explaining, and she's looking at that and she goes, "Oh my gosh, I'm busy, but I'm not productive." What does she do? I mean, I know you kind of talked about your own journey, but what's like a step that she should do to get out of it before she gets to burnout? First of all, if she's willing to press pause, that's huge because you tell a highly driven, entrepreneurial, busy, successful woman, you need to push pause. She's like, are you crazy? I don't have time to push pause. But my message is you don't have time not to. Are you really enjoying this journey? Are you really having fun? Like, let's get honest. So if that woman that you're referring to takes the time to press pause and to make that list, first of all, that is a big hallelujah moment. Because <laughs> just to do that, just to get still, just to get real, just to get honest with ourselves, that's the biggest part of the battle. Mm-hmm. But after you've had that pressing pause moment, then you have to be intentional to do it over and over again. And when I found myself sharing my story time and time again, I found that I kept saying, I pushed pause, I pressed pause, and it just kept ringing in my ear. And that's why it is so the heart of what I do as a coach, coaching women to recognize the power of pressing pause so that they can enjoy the hustle, right? So they can get clarity and know next steps. So pressing pause can look like, you know, following your Apple watch, right? When it tells you to breathe. So it can be a few seconds long. Pressing pause can be an hour of you sitting in a quiet, stimulus-free place, journaling, reading your Bible, taking a nap, right? Or it can be days at a time where it's a hiatus, a retreat, but it's just that time. It's not so much the amount, but what you do with it. It's that time that fills you. It gives you. And so many people struggle to do that on their own and they need a little help. And I understand that totally. So when people make that shift, what does productivity look like? When you finally made that shift, even for yourself, when you've gone from busyness to productivity, what do you feel productivity looks like? Well, the first word that comes to my mind is peace, right? We can be working and and accomplishing what we need to, but we can be doing it in peace. We're not frantic like somebody who's busy, right? So that's the first word that comes to my mind when when we're truly not burning our candle at both ends and we're getting stuff done, we're being efficient. We are working in our strengths, right? We're uh, producing something of great value in a short amount of time. We're not believing the lie of multitasking, which has been proven time and time again, that literally your brain was not created to multitask. And Mm. when you make your brain do it, it takes you longer to accomplish tasks and you make up to 50% more mistakes. So a big part of this healing journey for somebody who may be listening and resonating with this is recognizing that I have believed that lie too long. And now I want to shift in another direction. So that productivity is building you up 
in your strengths and so that you can go on with more clarity, better direction, you know, and again, at peace. But the biggest battle I face is getting people to understand that this is imperative. This is not a choice. This is something you have to do. There's this thing in our head, you know, this false definition of success that says we have to go, 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 go all the time. And our culture, even in the middle of a pandemic, right? Right. Still reinforces that lie. And so, you know, like I said earlier, people say to me all the time, like, are you crazy? I can't push pause. I have so much to do. And my answer to that is I'm not talking about stopping your momentum. I'm not even talking about stopping, right? I'm talking about just a temporary lull in activity so you can get some clarity and figure out where do I want to go? Who do I want to be showing up? Who am I called to be? Instead of just the doing, the doing, the doing, all the time, the doing, right? And so I think that's the biggest battle is helping women, especially to understand pausing will make you succeed more. It'll help you produce more. It'll help you enjoy more. And then the people around you will enjoy you more, right? The opposite of busyness, I feel like, is not necessarily productivity. The opposite of busyness is being present. And being present means giving everything to whatever it is at that moment. So whether it is your relationships or your work or whatever, you know, whatever it is, be fully present, be fully engaged instead of trying to put all, you know, all two hands in 42 cookie jars, right? It's impossible. And yet we still try to do it all the time. No, you have dropped so many good golden nuggets, Cricket, because that one really hit me that you last said it's about being present because busyness doesn't allow you to be present. Oh, not at all. It doesn't allow you to to be present. You're just going, going, going. And it doesn't, and it's no wonder that they said 50%, you're making 50% more mistakes because your mind is all over the place. But our culture has fed us, like you said, that we have to get so much done and we have to multitask and people wear it as a badge of honor. And I just hope that in somebody listening to your story and even in this today, that I know it seems counterintuitive to say, pause. You just took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> that is it right there. The idea of pausing is counterintuitive, but I promise you it works, right? I love that. So if there were any final words, because we've had such a good conversation here about that and, you know, the numbing of people numbing themselves and, you know, even getting to the point of burnout, if there were any final words of wisdom that you would leave with a woman today as she's reaching for the stars, she's going after her dreams and all of that, what would be your final message to her? Yeah, a couple of things. I would say for sure, don't justify your busyness, right? Oh, but I'm so busy. I got to do this. Okay. No, don't justify it anymore. It's not serving you, my friend. Um, Definitely keep a log. Um, You don't have to do it for weeks, just maybe a few days and be honest with yourself in that log to see if or what you think you're accomplishing is really what you are indeed accomplishing. I would also say I'm a huge, huge, huge proponent of boundaries. Boundaries are so important because they're self-preserving. So if we're referring to productivity versus busyness in your work life, boundaries may look like 
set office hours, especially if you work from home, like so many people do now, it's easy to work a little later, right? Um, because we don't have to commute. Um, no, I would say keep those boundaries. When that six o'clock whistle blows, you're done. Shut the laptop because otherwise you're still just burning the midnight oil and that's not serving you. Giving yourself breaks, um, even if that means getting up, walking the dogs, get a little vitamin D for five minutes, it will do you and your mindset very well. Um, and I would also say, lastly, for sure, define success for you. Because what success is to me is not what success may be for you, right? When I was sort of forced into my pause, Success in those dark days for me was getting out of bed. There were some days there where I was so depleted and stressed out and just truly grieving um, because I had stuffed emotions for so long and now it was coming out, right? So success then would have been getting out of bed, getting dressed, putting on makeup, getting out of the house. Well, on a good day, of course, we think, well, that's not success. Success is winning this award or getting the promotion or whatever. What's crucial, though, is to define it for you because it's not a universal definition. Define your success and then work to that. Set the boundaries that will guide you to that and then be productive in that. And I think that whether we're talking about your professional life or your personal life, there will be so much more joy and clarity in the end. Your relationships will be richer. You'll be more at peace. You'll have a better mindset and you will just overall feel better because all of those things we've talked about today boost your immunity, right? It's good for the heart. It's good for the soul. <laughs> it's just good all the way around. about you, but I want to enjoy this journey. So this is a reminder to me to take that pause and to not feed into the lie of busyness because it's no longer serving me. You know what, ladies? Let's break up with busyness today. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Joy Sutton Show and for the season one finale. If you'd like to connect with Cricket, you can find all the details in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this season has blessed you as much as it has blessed me. And season two, y'all, come on with it, is going to be even greater. We'll be launching in May with a new segment called Girl Talk, where we'll dive even deeper into the topics discussed on the show and provide insight from diverse perspectives. Season two, once again, launches in May. Until then, please join us on Instagram for your daily dose of joy. And always remember, this is your time to shine.